Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So have you noticed these days how we're bombarded with images and predictions of natural and human disasters, such as fires, earthquakes, floods, violent incidents, and wars? This list just seems endless. We're shown events instantly on TV and the internet. And we have online discussion groups predicting when the next incident is likely to happen. And then we have training sessions from experts on how to avoid these potential disasters and what to do, not if, but when they will happen. And there are companies that sell us products, such as insurance and survival kits, to make us less anxious. Sometimes, it just makes us want to stay indoors and ignore the world. And we may think that this is a sign of our times, but it was also happening in first century Jerusalem, not through the internet, but through the prophets, and some of them false. The people that Jesus was talking to in our gospel passage today had a well-documented history of violence, floods, enslavement, exile, pestilence, famines, and many wars with their neighbors. Prophecies of great signs from heaven and frightening events were actually part of their DNA. It was part of who they were. So instead of taking comfort through products designed to avoid, survive, or ensure against these disasters like we do, they visited the temple to worship God as their Lord and their protector. Now, leading up to our gospel passage today, we have heard of Jesus' triumphal entrance into Jerusalem and his activities centered on the temple, where he taught, answered hostile questions, denounced religious leaders, and commended the generosity of the poor. He also wept for the Jewish nation as they rejected him as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Word made flesh. And our gospel setting is this temple in Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish world, which was revered as a sign of God's presence and even as the dwelling place of God's protection for the Jewish nation. Josephus, the first century historian, tells us that this temple was huge. It held up to 40,000 people in the outer courtyard. It's sort of like a big NFL stadium, I would imagine. It was built of large white stones, covered on all sides with massive plates of gold. When the sun rose in the morning, the temple reflected so fiercely that those people looking at it had to avert their eyes. And inside, the furnishings were just as lavish. So the faithful worshippers could see the external beauty, but they failed to see the spiritual bankruptcy within this facade. They could not see the hypocrisy, the oppression, the love of law and money over the love of God, the rejection of the Messiah, and the idolatry of this spectacular building. 
And at that time, there were many false prophets leading the people astray by claiming to predict the coming of a Jewish Messiah, one that would lead them from under the Romans, and also predict the date of the final judgment. But Jesus is predicting the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple brought about by people who were following these prophets. He says, The days will come when there shall not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So to the Jews, this must have been a terrifying prophecy. This was the house that the Lord lived in. They thought he dwelled there. He was their protector. And Jesus was prophesying it was going to be destroyed. They were so shocked, they wanted to know the day or what the signs were so they could try and avert this physical disaster. So they asked him, when will this disaster happen and how will we know it's coming? And Jesus then gives them three signs for which they can watch. False prophets, political chaos, and natural disasters. Jesus is alerting his followers not only to the destruction of this temple, but also to the hardships that they're going to experience after his crucifixion, resurrection, and his ascension. Now this prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD when the Jews, incited by false prophets, the zealots, rose up against the Romans. Never a good idea in that time. They were brutally put down and their building of worship was utterly destroyed. But the destruction of Jerusalem and this temple was actually a watershed moment for all of humanity. The elimination of the temple, the symbolic center of Jewish identity, caused a new diaspora of Jews being scattered far and wide. And their worship was forced into synagogues and into homes away from Jerusalem. This was the moment the foundation of a new temple was laid. Not a physically huge and lavish building, but it was ultimately something more robust, something more awesome, more powerful. This new temple is the church. In Ephesians 2.20 to 22, St. Paul says, Another temple will rise, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is a clear and a direct reference to the new temple being the body of Christ. Christians, not stones that could be destroyed. And we testify to this each time we participate in the Eucharist. As we say, when we say that the prayer of humble access, when we say, grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. And with these words, we're confirming that Christ lives in us as we live in Christ. And we're stating that each one of us 
is a new temple combined into a church, one that God dwells within. Now, in a book I'm reading by Richard Rohr, an American author, spiritual writer, and a Franciscan friar called The Universal Christ, this part of an introduction which really made an impact on me. It's by Carol Hauslander, a popular religious writer and a, a mystic, a poet who wrote a short story about how an ordinary underground train journey in London transformed into a vision that changed her life. It describes the indwelling of the divine presence in everyone and everything since the beginning of time as we know it. She says, all sorts of people jostled together, sitting and strap hanging, workers of every description going home at the end of the day. Quite suddenly I saw in my mind, but as vividly as a wonderful picture, Christ in them all. But I saw more than that. Not only was Christ in every one of them, living in them, dying in them, rejoicing in them, sorrowing in them, but because he was in them and because they were here, the whole world was here too. All those people who had lived in the past and all those yet to come. And she goes on to say, Christ is everywhere. In him, every kind of life has meaning and has an influence on every other kind of life. After a few days, the vision faded. People looked the same again. There was no longer the same shock of insight for me each time I was face to face with another human being. Christ was hidden again. Indeed, through him, the years to come, I would have to seek for him, and usually I would find him in others, and still more in myself, only through a deliberate and blind act of faith. So today, Jesus prophesied the destruction of the physical temple in Jerusalem, and how the new temple, the church, will be built through trials, tribulations, and endurance. Today, let us recognize Christ himself is the cornerstone of this new temple, a temple spanning the whole world as he lives in every one of us. We are the new temple. Amen.